0: Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com.
1: Hello and welcome in to the Jeff Andreas Show and of course thank you so much for joining me on here what it is October 1st, yes, Tuesday, October 1, yes it is officially October, the spookiest of months. Halloween is just 30 days away, and perhaps even scarier, the federal election is but 20 days away. Yes, the month of October marks a time when the temperature really begins to drop, the days keep getting shorter, and the ghosts and goblins get ready to play. October's a bit of an odd name, though, isn't it? October, oct, like eight, but it's the the 10th month of the year. I'm sure many people know this, but for those who don't necessarily think about it, And Roman calendar, which had only 10 months, October was the eighth month as January and February had not been added to the calendar as of yet. So like it's neighboring months, September, November, December, standing for seven, nine and 10 respectively, the numerical in the name stuck. So we here are in October, october. It's one of my favorite months of the year, and it's uh, also my least favorite one to come to an end. Not that I don't like winter. But once Halloween has come and gone, it's basically winter in my brain, and I know it will be many months before I can think about spring. So from that perspective, seeing October come to an end is sad for me, but Halloween is, of course, my favorite holiday, so it's uh, a bit bittersweet in that respect. Now, I have a solid show to kick off the month here. I was uh, talking weather for a little bit there, talking about how the days are going to be getting colder and shorter And I'll be getting more into that in about 10 minutes time when I'll be joined by Environment Canada meteorologist Matt McDonald. Now, I was out Saturday at MacArthur Island. I played some disc golf. I checked out Brew Loops. And I have to say, it was mighty windy out there on Saturday. And, you know, it wasn't the greatest of days. I want to complain about it. But then I looked at what happened to our neighbors in the south of Alberta. I'm going to retract any complaints that I may have made. Nope, I can handle the wind, the mid-teen temperatures, As long as I don't have to deal with a foot and a half of snow in September. So, anything that I said negatively, I take it back. I take it back. I don't mean it. So... Thank goodness I don't live in Calgary. <laughs> that's that's how I feel uh, at least come the end of this past weekend. So Matt and I will chat a little bit about what's happening throughout the country, throughout BC, take a look at what's going to happen and will be happening here in the interior and also talk specifically about what's going on in Kamloops. So stay tuned for that to get all your weather needs and weather updates. In the back half of the show, we'll be joined by Kamloops counselor, Dale Bass. She has returned from Vancouver after a long week at the UBCM convention Council is also set for a meeting today, so uh, I will be talking a little bit about her on what's on the docket and, of course, what happened over the course of last week. And to end things off, it is Research Day at Thompson Rivers University. The Office of Research and Graduate Studies will be talking about and showing off as research initiatives and funding opportunities for the year. Today's keynote address will be delivered by TRU President and Vice Chancellor Dr. Brett Fairbairn, followed by a faculty and community panel about research impacts and social change. So I'll be joined later in the show by TRU's Assistant Vice President of Research, Mr. Will Garnet Pets. So that will be coming up at around the 50-minute mark of today's program. So stay tuned for all of that. It's going to be a good one today. To begin today's program, though, I did want to chat a little bit about social media and uh, thinking a little bit more about what... We post online. I know this is not a new conversation. It's something we've been hearing about for a while now, and it maybe even is a bit tiresome, but it is an important one, an important subject. And the reason that uh, I kind of wanted to talk about it was following a video which surfaced from Saskatchewan junior hockey league player, Greg Mulholl from the Yorkton Terriers. He was suspended 25 games for absolutely crushing the goalie of the Melville Millionaires about two weeks ago. And he decided it was a good idea to post a profanity-laced 10-second clip of himself, voicing his displeasure for the suspension.
2: Who are you? Hey, I'm Greg Mulhall from New York Interiors. So
1: I'll just play a little bit of it. I uh, didn't want to play at all, because let me just say, he talks about attending Fun University quite a bit. I think You can figure out what that school's acronym would be. Now, following that post... The league went on to suspend him for the remainder of the season. Got to think that's pretty disappointing for a player. And I would guess it's uh, highly unlikely he'll be playing anywhere else in the future. That's a tough lesson to learn for a kid, but this is why you need to double check and think about what you post on your Twitter, on your Facebook, on your Instagram, or whatever else people are using for a social media platform these days. You know, these posts don't disappear. They simply don't. Not in this day and age. And we don't have to look very far to see what can happen in the future if we're not very careful. Even on Snapchat, we think that stuff goes away, but people are watching and people are seeing. And they know a lot of the stuff that gets out there. And uh, you might think people only see it for 10 seconds, but that's not always the way it works. Now, there are two points for me to make as part of this subject. The first one is yes, to think about what you're putting out there. I'll say this. One thing I was able to do for myself when I grew up a little bit and started thinking more about the content that I put out there, when it came to my Facebook account, this might be the uh, silliest and and, uh, lamest way to censor yourself, and uh, my mom's not going to be happy when I say this, but uh, I added my mom as a friend. Now, this won't work in every family, I am sure, but for me, when having my mom as a friend on Facebook, it made me think about the things that I was posting, so I would think... If I don't want my mom to see this, maybe it shouldn't be out there for the universe and everyone else to see either. It was simple. It was an easy way to censor myself. And like I said, it's not necessarily something that'll work for everybody. And, um, you know, it worked for me in my mid-20s. So from that perspective, you know, maybe it's not uh, the best of advice. But for me, it did work. It did work, and it definitely had an impact on what I would post. Not even necessarily what I would post, but just take that extra second to think... What am I posting? Does it need to be posted? And who is this really there for? Is it just there for me, or is it actually there for the people that I want to share it with? Now, I will say this too, though. When talking about what happened in the past and things that people have written many moons ago, I don't think it's fair to judge someone off their actions from years and years past. People are allowed to change. Their opinions are allowed to change. I'm not saying we should ignore people's past racism or bigotry or stupidity or dumb things they decided the world should know about, but I am saying it's not necessarily fair to assume that someone is, in fact, the same person. I've seen stories where people, you know, have been asked to step aside from running for office because of something they wrote when they were 16. Like, come on. Is that fair? Even if they're only 23, 24 years old and they decided to put their hat in the ring for council or for MLA, I mean, you were 16. Come on. That's not fair. It wasn't in this federal election, like I said, but it has happened. And when you're 16, you're an idiot. At least I know I was, okay? So I know there were probably some smart 16-year-olds out there. So, okay, maybe it's not fair to lump all 16-year-olds into the same boat here, but... You know what I'm talking about. When you were 16, you did some pretty stupid stuff. Even the smart ones do some stupid things. So it's not necessarily fair to say, oh, well, obviously you are the same person you were when you were in your mid-teens. No, that is not generally the case. And it's unfair that people will be judged accordingly. Sometimes we just need to take a look at what was said and question it and find out how a person's view or opinion has changed since then. I don't want to point any fingers, but look at what's happening in the federal election right now. Look, I'm not saying what, what happened. You guys, I don't need to talk about specific incidents. You guys know what I'm talking about. I'm not saying what happened was right. I'm not going to say what happened was wrong. Uh, well, I will say what happened was wrong. That's obviously pretty clear. But it generated conversation. And it helped make people more aware. And I think that's, that's a good thing. How, regardless of how you feel about it, the fact that the conversation was had and the subject was brought forward and we were able to kind of have some constructive criticism about what was going on, I think that's very important. I think that's the most important thing that we should take from social media uh, when we look at people's past opinions and posts and histories and, and, and things that they have said and learn from them. Not just chastise them and say, oh, well, obviously you felt this way two years ago. Your opinion hasn't changed, and they're not even allowed to answer for it, and they have to either step aside or disappear, um, and it's just not fair. I'll use one uh, little example of uh, a movie that I like. It's a great movie called American History X. The main character, a white supremacist, a skinhead, has Nazi symbols tattooed on him, went to jail and slowly changed and became a better person, he became less racist, got out of jail and tried to help his younger brother uh, learn and grow and not be that same person that he was. Um it's a great movie if you have, if you haven't seen it I would I would recommend it Edward Norton great actor um anyway the point was that he was a terrible human being and he was allowed to flip his script and I think we as humans not movie characters should be allowed to do the same and uh, you know it's not to, it's not easy you got to prove it you can't just say it you got to do it but it's true we're allowed to be better people and I think what we should uh, Lengthen our leash a little bit when it comes to some of these incidents and allow people to to speak their minds, speak their truth, and uh, change their minds. Yes, we can judge them instantly based on something they said many, many moons ago, but it doesn't mean that that is who they are now. So think about that. Think about what you post online, first and foremost, because these things do come back to bite you. Second of all, if someone does put something stupid out there, that doesn't mean that that's who they are. We're allowed to change. We're allowed to become better people, and it's a shame that in many cases that uh, ability is not granted. Coming up after the break, I'm going to be talking about weather. What's going on here in Kamloops? What's going on here in BC? What is going on in Alberta? We'll talk more about that with Environment Canada's Matt McDonald after
0: this. Your Opinion. Call or text 250 Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com.
1: Hello and welcome back into the Jeff Andreas Show here on Tuesday, October 1st. Yes, it is the first day of October. I know fall officially starts on September 21, but once the month of October rolls around to me, It really feels like we've pretty much lost any chance of seeing that warmer weather. Is that really the case? And what has happened here in BC and elsewhere in Canada over the last three or four days? We're here to talk about the weather is Environment Canada meteorologist Matt McDonald. Matt, thanks so much for being here today.
2: Hey, my pleasure, Jeff.
1: So let's just start by taking a look at what happened in Alberta over the weekend, because I didn't necessarily love the weather here in BC's interior. It was pretty windy and uh, not as warm as I would have liked it. But uh, when looking at the storm that hit Alberta, I mean, I'm, I felt a little bit better about our situation. So I guess just tell me a, a brief overview of what things looked like there over the weekend. Obviously, quite a bit of snow.
2: Yeah, that's right. It could have been way worse for us this weekend. Uh, this really deep, vigorous, uh, low-pressure system was parked over northern Idaho, and what that did is it pumped moisture into uh, the southwest corner of Alberta, uh, creating kind of this upslope uh, stream, and uh, the air temperatures were cold enough to, for the snow to just start on, uh, on Friday evening, and they just pile up continuously through the weekend. Uh, even the foothills, I mean, Calgary picked up 30 centimeters of snow, uh, thinking it's the end of september so that was a record-breaking snowfall event but then as you moved into the mountains uh places like waterton national park saw just under a meter of snow 95 centimeters over the weekend
1: yikes um so I, i mean how i mean you said it was a record so i'm sure this is a pretty rare event but just how how rare is it to see even snow in september let alone this much snow
2: well, in Alberta, they like to say that snow is possible literally any month of the year. Um, every single month, they've seen snowfall. Uh, typically, September is that that time of year where we're changing. We'll see like the odd, you know, two to three centimeters. But to see thirty to you know, hundred centimeters of snow uh, was absolutely record breaking and uh, really abnormal.
1: Uh, was was it uh, at all record breaking in terms of temperature there as well?
2: Um, yeah, they also broke some um, some daily records. Uh, kind of a funny record is the lowest uh, daytime high. So temperatures are only getting up to about 2 or 3 degrees there o- over the weekend. And we saw similar cold conditions uh, over B.C. as well.
1: Yeah, so let's, let's make that shift. We've had enough time laughing at what Alberta had to see there over the weekend. So what's going on here? I know that, uh, you know, looking here over the weekend as well, uh, like I said, it was a little bit cooler, but not too bad in the interior itself. But when you go up, uh, you know, onto the... Uh, Connector and onto the Coca-Cola. There was some snow there too. I guess just take me through kind of what happened up in those locations, and uh, you know how um, how how much snow did they see up there?
2: Yeah, that's right. I mean, looking back to the end of, of last week, uh, Thursday, Friday, we saw a pretty strong cold front come in, and, uh, you know, our daytime highs over the weekend were only like the high single digits. Uh, many places throughout the Okanagan only getting up to 8 degrees on Sunday. Uh, Kamloops only hitting the 10-degree mark, so it was about, you know, 6 to 8 degrees below normal over the weekend. Uh, and then up in the mountains, well, of course, the temperature always colder, uh, you know, sitting right around the freezing mark. So as you mentioned, uh, you know, the connector picked up 7 centimeters of snow um... Panask, uh, 14, sorry, Coquihalla was 7 centimeters, the Connector was 14, and then down along the uh, the international border there, the, uh, the Crow's Nest Pass between Christina Lake and Castlegar, they got 48 centimeters of snow, so uh, pretty slippery driving conditions over the weekend.
1: And uh, I'm here with Environment Canada's Matt McDonald, so is that going to be a trend now looking ahead? I mean, are we seeing more of that potential weather on the Coke and on the Connector uh, here in the coming days or throughout the rest of this week?
2: Well, fortunately, we've, we're seeing the temperatures rebound here. I mean, today we're heading for a high of 16, 17 tomorrow. Uh, we do have another disturbance that's going to push through uh, Wednesday night in through Thursday morning. Uh, and in the mountain passes, temperatures will, again, be low enough. It's not going to be packing a ton of moisture, but I wouldn't be surprised to see another two to three centimeters of, uh, of wet snow Wednesday night into Thursday morning.
1: Yeah, definitely something for people who are planning to do any kind of travel around that time to. Uh, Be aware of. Um, Now, I know it's probably not, uh, you know, very unique, but just when looking at the fact that we did see some snow, um, you know, it's the end of end of September and now into early October. Is this at all uh, bizarre at any in any stretch or is this pretty standard to start seeing this kind of weather and this kind of weather behavior at this time of year?
2: Um, You know what, October really marks that transition to more fall-like weather. I think this year it's perhaps a couple of weeks early, um, but looking at our longer range models, it's looking like uh, this cold air is probably going to return. I mean, I'm looking into uh, the second week in October, and uh, it's looking like we're going to see a return of these below seasonal temperatures, so I think the fall here is off to a bit of a cold start.
1: Um, And and I just want to highlight here, we have about a a minute left, just looking specifically at what's going on in Kamloops. daytime highs mostly hitting around the 16, 17 degree mark here for the rest of this week, with the exception of, I believe, Thursday is 13 and cloudy. But for the most part, it's a little bit warmer, um, I guess. How does that compare for us in terms of uh, what would we would normally see around this time of year? Is that uh, warmer, colder, pretty normal, or, or how does that look?
2: Yeah, that's right around seasonal. I mean uh, temperatures at this time of year, we're typically hitting that 17 degree mark So we're, we're pretty much bang on the money there and then the overnight lows slightly on the cold side I mean last night we dipped down to zero degrees. So that was our first frost of the season um, So for the next week kind of near seasonal, but as we get into that second week of October I think we'll see uh, another cool uh, trend there
1: Well, when We're talking cool. Do you have any idea what that looks like? Is that like really cold?
2: Um, you know, probably daytime highs of single digits, maybe getting to the 10-degree mark for the second week of October. And then it's still, it'll be those overnight lows that'll be dipping uh, below the freezing point, most likely.
1: Okay, but we don't have to worry about uh, a foot and a half of snow here, I hope.
2: Not for now, no. Perfect.
1: Well, Matt, thanks so much for taking the time to join me today. I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just happy we're not in Alberta right now.
2: Yeah, my pleasure, and uh, good opportunity to get those snow tires on with the, uh, the cold temperatures here to stay.
1: Yeah, well, it is uh, October, so I guess that's the law now. Well, thanks so much, Matt. appreciate your time. My pleasure. All right, that was Environment Canada meteorologist Matt McDonald. Coming up after the break, I'll be talking with, uh, with uh, Councillor Dale Bass after a week at UBCM last week, and, of course, City Council going on here today in Kamloops. We'll chat a little bit about what's going on after this.
0: Listening to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com.
1: Welcome back into the Jeff Andreas Show, and thank you so much for tuning in. Last week was a busy week for the majority of council, as some city staff who joined them went down to Vancouver for the Union of BC Municipalities Convention for a number of meetings with ministers. And of course, it is Tuesday, so there is council here in Kamloops today as well. I'm joined now by Councillor Dale Bass, who will help break down some of what happened and maybe take a quick look at what's going on today. Dale, thank you so much for joining me here today. Good morning. How are you? I'm, I'm fantastic. How are you doing on this first day of October?
3: Not too bad. It's pretty cold out, though. Uh, well, hopefully
1: it'll warm up. It looks like uh, the weather could get a little better as we head into later in the week. We'll see. Um, Good. <laughs> so uh, just starting to look back at, at last week, I mean, uh, would you call it a successful week at UBCM for you guys?
3: Oh, certainly. Um, It was an overwhelming week, especially for those of us who are new to it. Uh, You can't do everything. You can't go to every session. You can't be everywhere. So we had to pick and choose, and we did well covering all the bases. The meetings with the ministers, I think, were instructive. I'm not sure how productive they're going to be, but they heard our messages, and they took notes, and they said they would look into it. So that was good. Um,
1: As one of the proponents of banning single-use plastic bags here in Kamloops, I did want to ask specifically about your meeting with the uh, Deputy Minister of Environment and Climate Change, uh, the city made two requests at the meeting, with the first um, being that the Ministry enact provincial legislation to regulate the distribution of plastic mm-hmm. carry-out bags while giving local governments some flexibility to address the unique needs of their own communities. So uh, when it comes to this specific request, I guess, why was this something that uh, you might have felt needed to be asked for? I mean, when we're seeing communities like Salmon Arm and Victoria and, and soon Kamloops, kind of take the lead when it comes to this plastic bag ban, I guess, how, how would these tools specifically that you requested for, how would those help?
3: Well, everything's on hold now because of the Supreme Court, the appeal court's ruling that the uh, Victoria resolution, which most of us based ours on, uh, Victoria bylaw, I should say, was was, um, not done properly. It was was done uh, with an eye to covering the environment rather than dealing with business. So we need the provincial government to step in and in some way enact some sort of legislation or order in council to allow communities to move forward with the bylaws that they're working on.
1: So, I guess, how was that conversation received by the deputy minister? I mean, was he kind of in favor of looking at some ways oh, to yeah. sort of help communities, you know, enact oh, yeah. these regulations?
3: Oh, yeah. They've got a plan. They've been doing a survey. In fact, the, uh, the, the public survey just ended yesterday. They're hearing it loud and clear, and they know they have to do something. Uh, what they indicated was that they expect to ha- have to uh, come public with what they're planning on doing next spring. Because it takes a while, as I've discovered in municipal government, it takes a long time to get some things done. So they've got their survey done, they're going to review it all, and then they'll start drafting something.
1: Um, I know part of the conversation as well was looking at plastic packaging. Um, I mean, did you guys get any further on that? I know when you were on NL earlier in the summer, uh, you were talking with Jason Hewlett and then, you know, you didn't really want to get into sort of the other stuff. It was sort of take this one thing at a time. Let's focus on plastic bags. But uh, given that this conversation was had, I guess, uh, sort of what was the mood around talking about other plastics since bags oh, have really gotten more. all the attention?
3: Oh, it'll definitely be more than bags. Uh, they're, they're looking at a lot of things. It'll, it'll, I think they, they will. A lot of it also depends on the federal government's moves, which depends on the federal election, of course. But uh, what they indicated is they're not going to just talk about single-use plastic bags.
1: Um, any ideas sort of when the when the province might be looking to, to move ahead with some of these new regulations? Are they hoping to do it sooner than later? Because I know you are here in Kamloops we are looking to get that bylaw sort of put into place by next spring slash summer. Um, you know, is that a realistic timeline, do you think?
3: Oh, yeah, sure, because the Deputy Minister indicated they'll they'll come public with what they plan on doing and in the spring. I'm assuming they'll do it then because they'll want to get it done before their summer break. And that'll just give the uh, governments, the municipal governments and the local governments, the opportunity to start moving forward with their own. Um, we did ask, I believe everyone who's spoken to the Deputy Minister from government asked that it be done in a way that communities can enact the bylaws as it suits their communities. So maybe, maybe some communities might, not, might want to go as far as the legislation that might come in will allow. So, you know, giving every, every, every community an opportunity to bring it in as they want to, kind of as, as they've done with the other uh, changes within um, recycling.
1: Perfect. Um, any other specific meetings that you wanted to highlight about UC, UBCM? Was there anything that uh, you, know, you thought was a very successful meeting that maybe you wanted to point out here?
3: Well, I thought they all were successful, but from my perspective, having been promoting the child care crisis in the city for months now, it was quite relieving to hear the, um, deputy, was it the deputy, Minister, deputy Minister of Education say that when they re- rebuild Parkcrest, it's possible they'll put a daycare center in there. Lots of communities on the coast have childcare centers within their public schools and their elementary schools and secondary schools. So that that was really a good thing to hear. I would I think that we were all we all left there feeling that we've been heard, and that's important. And That's something that we need to have. Yeah. We've got a good dialogue going with this government.
1: Yeah, that's always one thing I worry about when I see, uh, you know, just the number of meetings some of these ministers have that, uh, you know, it might be difficult to really, you know, have have your your say and have your actual time to get any message across because sometimes it feels like there's so many meetings and there's so much information Mm -hmm. that they're trying to collect that you worry that, you know, maybe they're not really listening. But uh, obviously you didn't feel that way.
3: No, you know, you only get 15 minutes. So the way we approach it is the mayor was our spokesperson and all but the one that he couldn't be there and councillor duty was the spokesperson there. And we don't take up the entire 15 minutes making our pitch. We take up about five so that then we can have that dialogue with the minister, the deputy minister, whomever else might be in the room that has something to contribute to the conversation. And that's more productive, I think.
1: Perfect. I'm here with uh, Kamloops Councillor Dale Bass. Uh, I did want to ask a quick question about today's council meeting as well. Uh, One of the things that's on the docket is uh, looking at the potential for free transit service for special events, you know, looking at things like helping people get out uh, to go vote when there is an election ongoing, I guess. Just how do you feel about this? I personally think it's a great idea not only to try and get more people participating in things like elections, but also encouraging people to use public transit. I know I've been talking with the mayor recently and he said, you know, trying to increase the number of people taking the bus is something that the city really should be trying to do so just how do you feel about that uh, specific proposal
3: it's, it's super I mean it's just great anything that a as you say can get more people out to vote is good um, whatever can get more people onto transit is good and I think it responds to something that we've been hearing from the public for quite a while that as particularly on election day make it free M- make it easier for us to get there
1: Yeah, and I think if if people are also getting on the bus, you know, because it's free, so they'll be more likely to at least consider using it, then that could potentially, you know, make them more of a, a regular customer on that service as well. Perfect. Um, uh, one other thing that uh, I highlighted from today's agenda was um, a plan to uh, prevent instances of flooding at Riverside Park. The city's looking to pursue up to 750000 in funding uh, to assist with the cost of mitigation. Um, I guess, uh, you know, just how do you feel about that? I mean, I was looking, I, I'm pretty new to the city, so I'm not super aware of uh, kind of the issues that have gone on at Riverside Park. But from what I'm hearing, I guess there has been some concern when it comes to flooding in the park. Um, how, how important do you think this project is to uh, maintaining Riverside?
3: We moved here in 1999 from Ontario in July, and uh, Riverside Park was flooded all the way up to the concession. And, um, and that's not an unusual occurrence with the park, so anything we can do to deal with the flooding issue and, and, and the erosion that it causes to the riverbank as well is important to do.
1: Yeah, hopefully um, the city can, can collect that funding. I guess that would be a project maybe looking at uh, next year's budget, I would think, probably at this point in time. Do you know?
3: Yeah, Perfect. I don't know, but I anticipate it is.
1: Um, and uh, while I have you here, Dale, I will also ask you about uh, what's going on at Valley View. So there was a number of concerns here from from residents about, uh, you know, uh, a number of garbage and, and needles and things along those lines that were left near the Valley View boat launch. Um, and I guess uh, you've said that, uh, you know, you're looking to sort of correct some of those issues that people are seeing. I guess, what is the latest there?
3: Um, well, bylaws and um the director said that they were going to send staff down to look at it and then use our contractor who we have hired to do this to clean it up and my understanding that could happen today it's it's quite an extensive area of the riverbank that's been taken up by several camps uh the pit photos that were sent to me are show that it's a massive problem it's it's beyond needles it's shopping carts it's it's tents it's it's garbage so um I understand that will get done at, at least sometime this week. But here's the problem with that. Once you clean up a camp, once bylaws and RCMP clean up a camp, there's nothing to stop it from coming back again. It's something that you, it's hard to stay ahead of. And that's been the experience with bylaws in cleaning up some of the other camps. That They get it, they get everything cleaned up. They move the stuff into storage. Uh, they tell, they explain to the people, you can't be here during the day. And then they go away and then they're right back. So, So it's an ongoing issue for bylaws to try to deal with, and it's a hard one.
1: Yeah, and I would think uh, you know, doing it October first, that still allows time for people to to set up at least before winter starts, bef- so they ha- would have another chance to kind of set up camp for a little bit. I guess uh, this is probably just something that is ongoing. I mean, is this the this isn't the first you're hearing of this kind of problem? I wouldn't.
3: think. Oh no, oh heck no, no, this is happening. Each community thing is just happening in their neighborhood, but it's happening everywhere in the city, and it and it it's. Um you know, we could have bylaws working on this twenty four seven and doing absolutely nothing else, and still not really get ahead of the, of it because it's just a problem that continues to grow as the city grows and as the services that we provide to, to this that community um, become well known. You know, we, people are coming to Kamloops because we have better services. We we have the option for housing, and and sometimes that just means there are more people on the street and on the riverbank for a while.
1: Yeah, well. Uh Definitely something to to keep in mind, and uh, hopefully we can get that cleaned up. And I don't know if it's going to uh, have a a significant impact moving forward, but at least it'll look nice for for a little bit. Um, For a while. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Dale. I really appreciate your time. Anything else you want to add before I let you go? No, that's great. Thanks very much. Awesome. Well, have yourself a wonderful rest of your first day of October. Thanks so much, Dale. You too. Goodbye. That was Kamloops Counselor, Dale Bass. Coming up, it's Research Day at Thompson Rivers University, and I'll be joined by the school's vice president of research after
0: this. Radio NL. Radio NL.com, Local news now. Mm-hmm. Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and radionl.com.
1: Hello and welcome back in here on this lovely Tuesday in Kamloops. Today is Research Day at Thompson Rivers University. And here to talk about it is TRU's Assistant Vice President of Research, Mr. Will Garnet Pets. Will, thanks so much for taking the time to be with me here today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Jeff. Great to talk to you. Uh, well, so, yeah, let's talk about Research Day today at TRU. I mean, why do you think that it's so important for the school to acknowledge and celebrate and highlight the work that is being done at TRU?
4: You ask big questions first thing in the morning, but sure, I'll take a crack at that. <laughs> uh, we're we're an open-access research university, um, which is, um, we think, a, a really special and important mandate uh, to, to have, uh, um, it's it's a a comprehensive university with a, a comprehensive set of assets including as you know trades training open learning true world with its international division career and uh, vocational laddering opportunities and all the traditional academic areas all wrapped into one so when we when we talk about research we're really talking about a broad spectrum of activity and i think the most important thing there is uh, the, the impact of the work that our faculty and our students do on the communities around them so we're why is it important it's, it's a celebration it's bringing all of those people from all those areas together and um, I should say today um, we have as our keynote speaker uh, president Brett Fairburn and he's going to be talking about his own research from his his own recent book uh, published this year called uh, risk and resilience on the cooperative movement in Canada
1: um, so, given all that, I mean, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but can you just sort of expand on what the role of research is at TRU? I mean, you mentioned, obviously, how it contributes to not only the learning that people are doing, but also, you know, maybe the mm-hmm. development of programming as well. But just that when you look at research and, and what's going on at TRU and, and, and the work that is being done, I guess, just how important is it to the school in, in terms of um you know keeping people busy and also you know developing mm-hmm. new projects and 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 new curriculums and new programs and and sort of what impact does it have in sort of uh, contributing to the overall environment
4: at TRU well, your question kind of anticipates all, all of the benefits that, that research offers you. As you know, we've, we've got uh, a number of, of graduate programs. By, by this time next year, we'll have nine graduate programs up and running. And you can't offer graduate studies without a, a strong research base. And so that means that um, those faculty who are teaching in those areas have first-hand experience uh, working in those areas. So it means an expansion of the curriculum. Uh, it means an expansion of, uh, of learning opportunities for people um, in our city and, and in our region. And increasingly, of course, internationally, um, and coming to our university to participate in that. Um, we, we also have a, a commitment to what we're calling research-informed learning. Uh, when we talk about education in the classroom, um, in in the high schools, there's a lot of talk about uh, project. Uh, learning and deep learning opportunities facilitated by teachers. We're trying to emulate many of those same things in universities across the country, and especially here at TRU as well, by providing research-informed opportunities. Opportunities where you can not only learn from lectures and learn from research in the library, all crucial aspects of, of an education, but also learn by doing. And, and in a university environment, that means engaging at one level of or another in research.
1: Um, Yeah, so for sure, when you talk about uh, learning by doing, I guess that's sort of the most important role in any of this is that you're not going to learn until you get sort of your hands on some of this um, material and sort of get to work and, and learn for yourself and, and put it into perspective. Um, is there anything, Absolutely. so so you kind of highlighted the overall role of research and, and sort of, I don't want to say it was vague, but just sort of like highlighted, uh, you know, from a, from a outside perspective of just what the role is of research at TRU. But is there anything mm-hmm. specific that you can get into in terms of maybe ongoing projects that you would like to highlight? Or, or even oh, sure. any projects that, uh, you know, maybe have recently been completed that have had sort of a, a significant impact?
4: It's, it's, it's always dangerous for somebody in my position to, to focus on individual projects because you're going to be leaving, leaving others out. Um, so, uh, but I would like to mention that in the last year alone, uh, we've had 67 externally funded research projects, and, uh, and that's just the ones that have been funded by federal and provincial governments, primarily, and, and by foundations. Um, so, uh, really an awful lot of activity, and you can probably triple that in terms of, of any calendar year, in terms of the number of actual research projects that are going on, um, because not all, not all research is going to be externally funded. Uh, so, so a lot of that kind of activity. But in, in terms of some of the highlights, and, and maybe some of the things that we're doing a little bit differently might be, might be worth focusing on. Um, you've, you've probably heard about our partnership with United Way and the City of Kamloops and Kamloops Innovation to put together what's called the Exchange Lab on the North Shore. Um, right now, the Four Directions Group is in there. Um, that's part of our response to the to the Park Crest fire and and the displacement of the of those students. But starting in January, um, that will be a community-based research lab, uh, supported, as I said, by United Way and the city and Kamloops Innovation. And uh, it's going to be a, a hub for social innovation work for working with nonprofits. Um, and that's going to be linking up with a number of ongoing research issues related to homelessness, to, um, to regional health, and, and particularly a response to the opioid crisis. Um, I, I think more, uh, uh, a slightly bigger um, initiative, bigger in terms of, of uh, regional uh, impact, is the work that we're doing uh, with the Interior Research Coalition with the University of Northern British Columbia and UBCO in Kelowna. Um, you may have heard that the three universities have come together as a coalition. And in particular, we're working on fire science and responding to the, um, to the wildfires, uh, looking and working with the provincial government now to bring some research power, coordinated research power, um, to, uh, to address those kinds of issues. Uh, we're working hand in glove with uh, the three cities and I can't say more about the, um, the, the foresight and, and, the, um, and the collaboration of the three mayors from all three cities who have brought their city councils to, to work with the universities and work with the provincial government on initiatives like this. Yeah, the, a, lot,
1: a lot there, Will, and that was obviously just a brief snapshot of some things that are, that are ongoing so I'm sure we could, we could talk about this for a long time. Um, just given some of that stuff that you had mentioned there too, uh, when you're talking about, you know, obviously the, the funding that you're getting from the feds and the province to do some of this work. Obviously, um, you know, when we think about research, maybe we're, we're kind of confining it to what's happening at a specific school, but obviously this work is very important, not only to the school itself or communities where the schools are placed, but just to the overall environment that we see. Uh, you know, when it comes to looking at, you mentioned, you know, just to highlight the, the forest fire situation and just sort of what's going on when it comes to fire research. So obviously a lot of spin-off benefits, not just for the school, but but for those, uh, you know, the people living here in B.C. or or just living in Canada as a whole. I mean, can you just kind of speak to, you know, just the, the work that your students do and your faculty does and just sort of, um, you know, how how proud it can make you to, to see some of that work coming to fruition and just the spin
4: off benefits that it does have? Oh, it, it, it's, it's a matter of huge pride. The, uh, let's, let's begin with the students, which is where we always begin here at TRU. Um, we've, um, we've, we've received um, international accolades for the work that we've been doing in providing research opportunities for our students. Uh, we just received uh, two from a Northwest accreditation body. Um, our, um, there's an organization called the Council of Undergraduate Research based in the United States and they've singled us out, um, in fact they've singled out one faculty member as the the top research mentor uh, in North America and and he's working in the, in the visual arts area, Donald Lawrence uh, of our school. So, and we have another initiative called the Knowledge Makers Initiative uh, an Indigenous Scholars Program for young scholars that again received national accolades. So um, on the pedagogical side, on the teaching side, we're, uh, we're really making a name for ourselves. And then, as I mentioned before, in, in areas like fire science, um, in health and science in rural communities, in social and economic development, and in tourism development, and in fact, in, in, in all of the, the, the other areas of the arts and humanities and business and, and increasingly in terms of trades and technology and open learning as well. well, we'll we're making a real impact. I,
1: I do have to cut you off there. I'm sure you could go on for a while. I appreciate your enthusiasm, but we are unfortunately out of time. But thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Oh, and and, uh, my pleasure. Of course, uh, again, today is Research Day at TRU, so thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Jeff. Awesome. That was TRU's Assistant Vice President of Research, Will garnett Pets. Well, thank you so much for joining me here today. Thanks to all my guests for being on here. And, of course, as I said, thanks for listening. And remember, whether you joined me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. I'll be back here tomorrow morning at 9.